All right, let's read through. But before we read through, I guess <clears throat> there's just going to be three things that we're going to mention today. And we're going to see in the text of a vision of victory. The victory starts with the Lord. And we're going to, you're going to see that. And I want us to <clears throat> kind of pay attention to that. And that this victory that the Lord has leads to worship. It leads towards a gathering and a focal point of him. And lastly, <clears throat> what we see in this chapter, that the victory <clears throat> ends in a restoration in his people, in the land, and even in the things, the common things around us. So we're going to see this as we read through Zechariah 14. Zechariah 14, verses 1 onwards. A day of the Lord is coming, Jerusalem, when your possessions will be plundered and divided up within your very walls. I will gather all the nations to Jerusalem to fight against it. The city will be captured, the houses ransacked, and the women raped. Half of the city will go into exile, but the rest of the people will not be taken from the city. Then the Lord will go out and fight against those nations as he fights on a day of battle. On that day, his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives, east of Jerusalem. And the Mount of Olives will be split in two from east to west, forming a great valley with half of the mountain moving north and half moving south. You will flee by my mountain valley, for it will extend to Azel. You will flee as you fled from the earthquake in the days of Uzziah, king of Judah. Then the Lord, will, <clears throat> my God, will come and all the holy ones with him. On that day, there will be neither sunlight nor cold, frosty darkness. It will be a unique day, a day known only to the Lord, with no distinction between day and night. When evening comes, there will be light. On that day, living water will flow out from Jerusalem, half of it east of the Dead Sea and half of it west to the Mediterranean Sea in, the su in summer and in winter. The Lord will be king over the whole earth. On that day, there will be one Lord and his name, the only name. All right, you see this picture of, <clears throat> Jesus, of the Lord coming and the Lord orchestrating and the Lord delivering the people. And even as it ends, you see images of what we now know in, in revelations, you know, of, of other parts of prophecy about this river that flows in Jerusalem and how there's this no di distinction between day and night. We see that more and more only because we have this <clears throat> from the perspective of the New Testament from Jesus, that we can understand this perhaps a little more than the people at that time. But they were waiting. They were waiting for the Lord to come. And I think the first thing that I want to start with is the victory that starts with the Lord. Right? That God's power is seen through his judgment and also his victory. His judgment and also his victory. I want to let this sit in, uh, kind of settle in for, for each one of us. As he talks about this, the first verse is that when your possessions will be plundered, divided up within your very walls, and it is the Lord, I, will gather all the nations to Jerusalem to fight against it. Right? That the Lord, let this settle, because it's hard sometimes when we think about this. We think about the Lord allowing, gathering the nations to exact his judgment on Jerusalem, on their idolatry and their, their ways away from God, that this is something that sometimes it's hard to kind of take in. We kind of wrestled with this throughout Zechariah 
I really encourage again, Pastor Allen's message, uh, talking about justice, talking about righteousness. But this is something that sometimes when we see this, that we see words like this, and it is hard for us to wrestle, that the Lord himself allows this, allows the messiness in life to enact his justice, his judgment, and ultimately we'll see his victory. You know, it says here that the city will be captured, the houses ransacked, and the woman, half the city will go into exile. Sometimes we don't know whether to take this completely literal or figuratively when we look at this whole, whole chapter, because there's times where you see and can understand how some of it has come true historically. But there has, there's, as we read on, there's parts of it that is not, has not come to fruition. So we wonder about what this looks like and what this means. And the people at that time wondering and waiting for the Lord, that they're seeing the devastation, they're seeing the suffering and the pain. And like, I think <clears throat> what it points out to is this idea is what does it look like to surrender and trust the Lord in his plans and his ways, knowing that they are good, right? Because what they would have gone through is half the city will go into exile. The rest of the people will not be taken from the city. So you see this destruction. And you see this even as Jesus comes and he speaks about this. But earlier in Zechariah, there's this judgment and this refining that, that he wants people to know. Right In just the chapter before, the last verses in Zechariah 13, it says this, In the whole land, declares the Lord, Two-thirds will be struck down and perished, yet one-third will be left in it. This third I will put into the fire. I will refine them like silver and test them like gold. They will call on my name, and I will answer them. I will say, they are my people, and they will say, the Lord is our God. I think the, <clears throat> only when I take a step back and I trust and I see a God's sovereignty, even if I don't see it right now and I believe it, that's the only time where I can perhaps helps me go through the difficult times of refining in the fire, of seeing destruction, seeing pain around me, and knowing that God is doing something, that God will do something, and that it is not meaningless. Jesus says this too. In Matthew 25, verses 31, Jesus says about this refining and the separation, verses 31 to 33, along with many passages in the New Testament. He says, when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his, on his right and the goats on his left. It goes on that passage of how the people that the sheep followed his kind of <clears throat> having a heart of loving the stranger, the widow, and living out the ways of God and the goats as people that did not, did not care and did not follow, did not want to live out those ways. But what we see in both Zechariah and Matthew here is that there is a time of trial and tribulation, there is a time of refinement for all of us. As much as sometimes that is hard, 
I find encouragement in knowing that that will ultimately refine and draw me closer to God as I cling on to him. That this is an important aspect in our daily lives. The older I get, the more I realize how hard it is to sometimes learn and to trust the Lord in all his ways. And even what we see here, that it is the Lord in the beginning that gathers the nations against Israel. That sometimes it's hard to understand perhaps the difficulties that I encounter or that you may encounter. You know, I think about <clears throat> Daniel 3, and it gives me much hope when I am encouraged by this story in Daniel 3 about these three men, friends of Daniel, right, that were told to bow down and worship this image of, God, image of gold. And as they declined, as they denied and said, no, we will not do that, the king, Nebuchadnezzar, says, if you don't do this, I'm going to throw you in the furnace. And they say, they respond to him and says, if we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it. And he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. But even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. There's this response that gives me so much encouragement of realizing, no, even if circumstances are not favorable, are difficult, that I will not serve other gods or the image of gold that, that they set up around us, the culture, the people, the principalities, that is easy to be drawn into. Wait, well, God is silent. He is not here. It looks like he's actually against me. Instead, in that moment to be, no, I'm just going to do it on my own. I'm just going to go on and trust myself and do this all by myself. But what we see in the story of Daniel, what we see in Zechariah as he talks about refinement, as he talks about separating, as he talks about kind of building us up, refining our character, it is this idea that draws me to see what does it look like to trust even when things are difficult even when things don't look favorable. But it is this exact story that, that continues, that reminds us that in those moments, in those times, that it is not about us, about how much we can do it. But in Zechariah 14, it goes on and says, then the Lord will go out and fight against those nations as he fights on a day of battle. There's a remembrance that, Yes, it is tough. It is something all against what I see and understand. But for them to realize, no, the Lord will fight. The Lord will go out and take on those nations. That it is not themselves that will win this battle, but the Lord will fight for them. That gives us courage, not of what we can do, but who and what Jesus can do, what God can do. It says that the Lord, later on in verses 12 onwards, it says that the Lord does this as he fights this battle. This is the plague which the Lord will strike all the nations that fought against Jerusalem. Their flesh will rot while they are standing on their feet. Their eyes will rot in their sockets and their tongues will rot in their mouths. What, what an image. On that day, people will be stricken by the Lord with great panic. They will seize each other by the hand and attack one another. Right, this, this Lord's 
battle is not even what they can do, what the people can do and defend themselves. Rather, it is the Lord sending a plague, sending, using his strength to defend the people. No matter what we go through and what we're going through, perhaps right now, that is the word encouragement that the Lord will fight our battles. The Lord will show his might and his spirit and his strength. What does that look like for us as we continue on, as we see in the story that the Lord fights for us too? Goes on and says, Judah too will fight at Jerusalem. The wealth of all the surrounding nations will be collected. Great quantities of gold and silver and clothing. A similar plague will strike the horses and mules, the camels and donkeys, and all the animals in those camps. The Lord fights and actually sends even the plague against the animals and the things that are there of ways to gather and the ways to protect his people. I think that's perhaps not very different when I think about how God has already done it for us in today's time. Right, That the Lord has already won the battle. The Lord is fighting for us. In 2 Corinthians verses, uh, chapter 14, verses 17, Paul writes this, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone. The new is here. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sin against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassador, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. I'm reminded of this, that the way that God has fought for the Israelites is the way that Jesus has died on the cross, has been sin for us, has took on the consequences, the wages of sin, so that we might become righteousness of God, that we may be able finally to have this relationship, this freedom with him. And in that, in that understanding of seeing Jesus doing that for us, fighting the battles, forgiving our sins, that we may live in a different way, that we may live in this trust of who he is and what he has done. These small victories that he does in our lives, the sanctification of pure, of refining us, the small V's, that that is what draws us and, and sees his faithfulness and his goodness in our lives. Because what we see in this story and what we see in Jesus is that the road to the redemption, the road towards restoration and victory for the people of Israel at that time went through pain and suffering and being plundered, being divided, being separated. And in Christ, in his road for redemption for us, went through the Calvary of dying on the cross. And those ways that when we see the difficulties, that we can trust and know that he is in control. That the victory starts and ends with the Lord. But not only that, 
what we see here is that the victory leads to worship. It's not only a defeat of the enemy of enemies of Israel, but rather what we see as Zechariah prophesies as he speaks to the people is that this actually leads to worship, leads to worship of God. It goes on in verses 16 and 17. It says, the survivors from all the nations that have attacked Jerusalem will go up year after year to worship the King, the Lord Almighty, and to celebrate the festival of tabernacles. All right, so what is this festival of tabernacles as they celebrate these in Deuteronomy 16, and Leviticus will look at this, is the celebration to celebrate the festival of tabernacles for seven days after you've gathered the produce of your threshing floor and your wine press. And for these seven days, they were supposed to have a festival to the Lord your God at the place the Lord will choose. And this is one of the three festivals where all the men should appear before, gather together. And this is the festival of tabernacles. And this is, in Leviticus, it speaks of what it is. In verse 39 says, this is for your descendants to know that I had the Israelites live in temporary shelters when I brought them out of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. It is all a reminder of what God has done for them as the people of Israel, that they would celebrate this, that they would know of God's power, of God's faithfulness, and the ways that there's so much in Exodus of God hearing the people. Right, So it says that the survivors that attacked Jerusalem, they will come to understand this as they witness the awe and the power of God. That they would then turn to him and go year after year to worship the king. And that there's a draw of not only is it victory in the enemy, against the enemies, but there's a draw to actually worship. I was thinking about this because I wonder, what does that mean for us today? What does it look like to worship and to come before God, even today on a Sunday, as we just sing songs or come in and out? That one encourages it's much more than that, of, of even this rhythm of coming and going to service. But that there is an awe, there is a majestic, all-powerful God that we worship, that we come and even the words that we sing, beautiful, that is, is not just something we sing, words that come out, but rather it is a prayer, it is a praise, it is a remembrance of who he is in our lives. The people, as they sing the victory of God, deliver them, that they came and draw, drew together to worship the Lord. And not only does God draw people to worship, he actually restores Jerusalem. Right, It says in verses 10 and 11, it says, The whole land from Geba to Rimmon, south of Jerusalem, will become like that of Rabbah. But Jerusalem will be raised up. Jerusalem is usually kind of in a valley with uh, hills surrounding it, kind of protecting it. But in this instance, Jerusalem will be raised up from the Benjamin Gate to the site of the first gate, to the corner gate. And it says, It will be inhabited. Never again will it be destroyed. Jerusalem will be secured. That there's this imagery of how Jerusalem will be raised up, elevated, similar to even what we see in other prophets, like Micah 4, verses 1. It says, in the last days, 
The mountain of the Lord's temple will be established at the highest of the mountains. It will be exalted above the hills and people will stream to it. There's this draw of not only worship of the people, but yet a restoration of this land that people will see and be drawn stream to it of where God dwells and has dwelled. I think there's something when we think about the victory of God is that he draws us to worship. And not only that, he restores that. He restores the land. He restores it in ways that he intended and desired. I think the most beautiful part is actually the last part that I want to mention of the vision of victory is that it ends in restoration. So not only of the land, but I want you to see these two verses are, are, are amazing to me. This image of, perf- of the perfect and complete sanctification. It ends with the Zechariah 14, verses 20 and 21. It says, on that day, holy to the Lord will be inscribed on the bells of the horses and the cooking pots in the Lord's house will be like the sacred bowls in front of the altar. Every pot in Jerusalem and Judea will be holy to the Lord Almighty, and all who come to sacrifice will take some of the pots and cook in them. And on that day, there will, be no, there will no longer be a Canaanite in the house of the Lord Almighty. They kind of separated it out a little bit. The holy to the Lord in, inscription was actually for the high priest to come before God. It's in Exodus 28. It describes of just kind of this worship and this kind of coming before the Lord that it was kind of making the people ready to approach God. In Exodus 28, verses 36, it says this inscription says, make a plate of pure gold and engrave on it as on a seal, holy to the Lord. Fasten a blue cord to it to attach it to the turban. It is to be on the front of the turban. It will be on Aaron's forehead and he will bear the guilt involved in the sacred gifts the Israelite consecrate, whatever their gifts may be. It will be on Aaron's forehead continually so that they will be acceptable to the Lord. This was kind of the holy of holies coming before God, offering the sacrifices. This is what they would engrave. It's kind of making it holy, what was just gold and preparing it before the presence of God. This is what would be inscribed on the bells of the horses, something that's ordinary, something that's common, something you wouldn't even think about. And not only that, the ordinary cooking pots in the Lord, Lord's house will be like the sacred bowls in front of the altar. Right? Those were sacred. Those are specific. If you look at Exodus, those were ways that they, they describe how they built it, what was there. And it was specific. Those were set apart as holy to offer sacrifices, to offer before the, the altar. But now, not, not only that, there's a restoration, this victory of of the Lord causes this restoration of even the common, the ordinary to become sacred and holy. It says every pot in Jerusalem and Jerusalem will be holy to the Lord almighty and all who come to sacrifice will take some of the pots and cook in them. That there's an image of being able to just take and present before the Lord. Not something that we have to set aside as only holy, but something that he has already made holy. It says the Canaanite is actually another word for merchant, people that were selling things at the temple. But there would no longer be these merchants 
at the temple selling things, people would be holy and worshiping before him. That's, that is how it ends in Zechariah. This idea of restoration of even the land, the people worship, and also the items and consecrating what was common to become what is holy. This is something that has been <clears throat> brought up by Pastor Michael in our community groups and in our thoughts of how sometimes we separate out what's secular and what's sacred, right? That we kind of have the pews and the Sundays as what we think as sacred and then the, the transportation, the things that we do every day as just secular, our work, this is we compartmentalize. This is what I do here and that's what I do at church or before God. That's what I do in small group or community group, but this is what I do when I'm hanging out with these friends. But what we were challenged with from Pastor Michael and also what we see in here as he makes things holy is this blending and merging together of what was deemed secular, what was deemed worldly to then become sacred, acceptable before God. I think there is an aspect in our lives that perhaps we need a challenge that if we live in ways that we separate out those things, what would it look like to see glimpses of heaven here on earth where we could see how God works and redeems what we consider or what the world considers secular and make it sacred? Whether it's in our workplaces, whether it's in our transport, how we communicate with our neighbors, whatever it might be, that it would be not just something that we do on the side, but rather that you see God in the midst of it, redeeming it, restoring it. That we could invite God to every aspect of our lives and not just certain aspects. That that is what he desires in his victory and his restoration is this blending together. And I think I'm, I'm so you know, challenged by that, of what that looks like as we think about what we do on an everyday life, whether it's working out at the gym and just coming in and out, but seeing that, no, God has divine appointments of people that I can meet, that I can encounter. Whether that's at your work, God using you in your work and blessing those around you the people that he has created in the image of God in ways that people will see God in you. Whether it's in our families, our friends, that there is a, that I wonder what it could be like as we take a second and not just try to separate out what's secular and sacred, but see it redeemed and restored by God. And I think in this way, I, I want us to be encouraged by Zechariah's vision of victory is that it starts with the Lord. It starts with God moving and changing and transforming. It's not what we can do, but what the Lord has done, what the Lord continues to do. And that draws us to worship where we see the people as they seen the power and the might of God that it drew them to worship, to come and celebrate the festival of tabernacles, that we see the victories in our lives of, by God to draw us towards him, to draw us to worship, 
and that we would see that this victory ends with restoration and redemption. It ends with restoration and redemption. The things that we see God moving and restoring, perhaps in our lives, in the areas around us, that we see him drawing that to a picture of what heaven will look like. I think as we think about these things, it is encouragement in times where it's difficult and at times where perhaps it's hard. That we could clean on and know that, it, that these th three things of what we see and Zechariah will give us hope, will anchor us in our trust in the Lord, and ultimately we'll see the victory, whether in this life or next, in our lives and in the kingdom of God. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you that, Lord, that nothing, nothing will ever stop you from accomplishing your will and your purposes. We thank you that, Lord, that you are sovereign and fully in control, that we can trust you as you refine and mold us. Lord, we pray that you would transform our lives. Lord, may we experience that transformation that we will see in heaven here on earth right now. That we would taste and see of the victories that you have for us here. That you, we would see you fighting the battles for us. Lord, help us to see that victory in restoration, in redemption, with the things that we feel perhaps are unholy and can't be touched by you that you would draw that, those areas and redeem it. That you would show us how big you are and how you intended the worship to look like. And in all this, we would be drawn and led to worship and praise. That it would not just be words that we sing on a Sunday, but a posture in our hearts every day that we come to worship and praise our King, our Father in heaven, our friend. And so Lord, reveal yourself. Reveal in yourself in areas where perhaps feel the darkest in our lives. Show us how you are that light that shines, Lord that you are the light that we can see in the darkest moments, even the glimmers that we can trust and hold on to. So we lift up our lives, Lord, to you. May we be your people, used, loving, and giving you glory in all that we do. We thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.